0: Hi. Thanks for tuning in. This is Drugist for the People. This podcast will contain my feelings and opinions and uh, stories from from my practice in pharmacy, but none of this should be taken as just hardcore fact. This is more about stimulating questions that you can then take to your pharmacist and your doctor and your healthcare team uh, to help you better understand and participate in your care. And once again... Just a little reminder, if you're looking for medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, you won't find it here. You need to use your healthcare professional for that. Today, the people is Jim. Welcome, Jim. Hey, good to be here, Don. And uh, today we've got positive proof that doctors are people. (laughs) Because that's what we've got here, pediatrician Jim.
1: That remains to be seen uh, uh, where the humanity lies, but uh, okay, glad to be here. The studies are ongoing. I think that they yeah.
0: There's no definitive fruit, but we've assumed.
1: My psychiatrist, my psychiatrist tells me that I'm fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go. Speaking of psychiatrists um, today, wanted to see if we if we could talk a little bit about. I've seen a couple articles about the the increasing number of kids. You know, these are children and teens that are being seen and in, in the emergency rooms and by physicians like yourself with mental illness, mental health illness sure, sure. issues. So do you think um, you could – have you had an experience oh, with yeah. that?
1: This has uh, been a big problem. And, you know, I've been practicing for 30 years. And I'd have to say when I first started out, mental health – I was not trained for mental health. And mental health was not something that really came up in offices it's very often. Um, it uh, picked up in the past decade. And certainly the biggest single increase has been since COVID. So the past three years or so – there has been an explosion in pediatric and adolescent mental health crises, um, primarily in the form of um, anxiety disorders. That's the number one thing. Um, so I don't know if it's been you know, three years of poor socialization, three years of looking at screens, um, but it has really put the zap on these young people.
0: Yeah. And I, um, I've read articles that reflect that same kind of thing, and I know I've heard you bring that up. I, I did find something that it, that was interesting in that um prior to covid and every, I think there's plenty of evidence that covid had this significant effect but that prior to as in from 2009 to 2019 they saw a 40% increase in the number of high school students reporting sadness sad sadness or hopelessness. Um 40%. Mm-hmm. So that it totals 1 in 3 are feeling that. I wonder what what do you think like when we were kids, maybe we didn't report it. Maybe we kinda like it wasn't something you you, you did. Are we are we now more accepting to hearing about it? Has is that changed? Are the number of people that actually report it more comfortable doing that?
1: You think that? That is such a good question. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, being a baby boomer, you know, we all want to think, Well, we were tough, you know, we <laughs> we were told to get out there and go out and play and come back at dinner time and, and you know if did. you don't cut your arm off you know you're fine just put a bandaid on it we'll deal with it later and you know go have fun with your friends. Yeah. Did you, didn't you have five toes when you left? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Something like that? Yeah. Yeah. You know and um and so I think yeah the dialogue was different in that um there wasn't a lot of attention to mental health in kids. I don't recall anybody, you know, in elementary school, junior high or high school who who I knew of who really had a mental health problem, you know, and um, this, uh, I think, you know, then we started hearing about this thing like emo, you know, and these, mm-hmm. these, these anxious, dark teenagers and tween, tween age people um, started to show up in the past decade or so. And people started talking about, yeah, it seemed like there's a lot of, you know, uh, different kind of young teens and stuff out there now. Um, but, you know, like I would say it's the exception to the rule. When I do a checkup, and there isn't something that comes up in the lines of, uh, along the lines of a uh, anxiety problem or depression. And then they run together. Anxiety and depression now are never independent. It's a question right. of where you are in that teeter totter more towards anxiety or more towards depression or both.
0: Right, right. Is the anxiety a component of the depression or right. is it just a more simple mood disorder in a generalized anxiety, that kind of thing? I did, um, there. In October of 2021, the American Academy of Pediatrics— I know them. I <laughs> you might—declared um, a national emergency in, in children's mental health. And in December of 2021, the U.S. Surgeon General issued an advisory on urgent need to address this. So what, the, what I'm getting at here is, guess what? The government is, is going to stand up and do something for us, Jim.
1: And it isn't that they're going to pay for it, and it isn't that they're going to create more psychologists or psychiatrists.
0: No, but I could, I could list off a few things that they're going to do. Um, first of all, there's a pediatric mental health care access program. that's a, that's a website. So there's training child psychiatrists, so they're, they're going to make it an effort. Okay. that could have an effect in what six, ten years. Something yeah. I don't let's not be negative. That's yeah. not yeah. uh, develop guidelines on youth preventive care, including mental health care. So there's going to be guidelines now. Hmm. Um, wait, there's provide in home supports to parents and children. I'm not sure what, I'm not that sure what means.
1: that's going to involve.
0: <laughs> no, and investing in training and growing mental health uh, workforce. So, what it, what it kind of comes down to is like, okay, it's okay that the administration has recognized the problem, but this feels like, um, Kind of throwing some money at it, our money.
1: Well, or at least it's creating a mandate. Where the mm. money will come from remains to be seen. And we'll, or we'll take money away from something else that's equally important that we're going to miss. So I don't know. Um, will it be just another burden on the schools? A, a lot of stuff gets wrapped into public education dollars. Um, you know. And, and so, in fact, a lot of uh, my patients get their mental health through the school counselors. Um, who were never meant to really do long-term counseling. Right. Uh, the school nurses are the frontline people on a lot of this, too, which, again, they're used to taking temperatures and deciding who's sick enough to go home, but now they're dealing with cutting and you know depressed teenagers as well. So it's, so, it's a big difference.
0: In your, in your experience, and when you've got someone that's come in and you've assessed that may need some help, do you... Do you, in addition to considering meds and other people who are specifically trained for this type of situation, also suggest like cognitive behavior therapy, something that a therapist well, will actually?
1: Sure. Yeah, yeah, and especially for the young children. So, you know, the the five to ten crowd. There's a lot of room for cognitive behavioral therapy and things like that, which you know are largely behavioral modification programs that that involve you know, teaching the parent and the child how to enforce a system of. Uh, Rules and structure and rewards and expected outcomes, Um, so that works well for the younger kids. The older kids, not so much. They're not going to buy into that very, very, very well. Yeah. Um, So So
0: there's there's like any number of reasons we could we could make a list of why this increase beside aside from COVID, which was an obvious contributor, but uh, some things that I've read are stress of a busy schedule. Overuse of social media and some of the negative crap that comes from that. Well, let's talk about social media then. Bullying, cyberbullying more. Yeah. Yeah, Okay.
1: Yeah. So, you know, you take Instagram and uh, Facebook and, I mean, I guess they mostly use TikTok and uh, Instagram as maybe their number one Mm -hmm. uh, sources of social media. Um, But, you know... It was one thing when we were young, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're not young, but when we were young, um, you know, there was that kid in the class who said, you're ugly, you're fat, you're stupid, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. Yes. But now you've got a constant stream or you can flip through hundreds or thousands of streams of negative um, impressions about yourself that you, you know, you, so constantly uh, you're being shown screens uh, streams of, constantly you're being shown streams of of uh, videos that show girls that look much better than you, that are skinnier than you, that are more social than you. Things that you cannot change and you can never obtain. Or they're showing you and, goods and services that you cannot afford to buy. And, no.
0: and you don't escape it. Like when we were kids, it might be happening in third period. Right. And like, thank God that dude is not in fourth or my classes. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And so... And you so could then- go home, when you went home, whatever you like to do, mm-hmm. run, play ball, burn leaves with your magnifying lens,
1: <laughs> whatever it might be. You, can't, you can't prove that.
0: <laughs> I can for myself. Um, so that, to me, is, is the biggest, biggest thing. There was a, I read a, a piece about a, a young man in Indiana. I think was, he was a baseball player, and he was pretty good at it. But he got picked on and picked on, and the most tragic of outcomes occurred. He took his own life. And sure, I just think, sure. to me, his parents seem like they were so involved. It's this not escaping, not being able to escape that if it occurs. And the people who are doing it, I'm not sure they realize the depth um, of the hurt that they're that they're causing. Sure. Do you think?
1: Yeah. And, and like I said, uh, and not only do you see these recurrent feeds of the same um, bombardment of things you can't have, can't be, can't do, um, but once you start surfing those, you are fed more of the same. So the, the algorithm is designed to show you more of the same and more of the things that you get mad at. Yeah. And I try and bring that up. So I'll, when I'm having these discussions with my anxious or depressed adolescents, um, you know, some of them are engaged, some of them are not engaged, some of them are going back and forth from looking at their phone. And I try and point out, and, and you know, you need to unplug. Um, so, if, you know, you need to do your homework or whatever you really need to do that's essential um, on the computer or your phone, but you otherwise need to unplug. And and notice that you're being shown constantly things that that are negative for you, things that are hurting you, and things you can't have and can't do.
0: Well, and when you think about anxiety, and we did a podcast on a comparison of s which is a serotonin-specific reuptake inhibitor, versus... Uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction, which is basically meditation, just based on counting breaths, that kind of thing. And the comparison for the treatment of of anxiety, they each uh, reduced symptoms by about 30%. So- Independently?
1: independently. Yes. mm -hmm,
0: Right. And so what you just said with not being engaged and not being committed, it takes effort. And I just wonder, you know, kind of bouncing off that, about like okay we can talk about when we were kids what Mm -hmm. was talked about at the dinner table i mean the vietnam war was going on and it was you know they were talking about guerrilla warfare and i'm trying i'm imagining apes and trees you know i don't (laughs) know what it's it but now the tenor of of what goes on in towns and counties and state you know it's such a there's always a battle there's a lot of name calling it goes on and it's kind of shown to us from the highest level if you want to consider you know political office and i how can a kid not pick up on that not hear a parent screaming about something on tv or sort of this some sort of intolerance that they might have for anything that's going on Does, do you think that this kind of thing is contributing it seems to me i'm just uh yeah i i, I have not read or seen anything like this but it feels that way i mean of me.
1: course it has to i mean the more polarized our media is that our that the parents are um, consuming. The more, you know, the more polarized the parents are going to be, and that's definitely going to be shown to the children that the, the parents are going to, the parents who are speaking more, you know, hateful speech and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's definitely going to, um, you know, play a factor in the children. But that comes back to the whole argument again about the family unit and and what is the role of the family unit now versus twenty thirty years ago for adolescents. Um, you know what is more important their peer group their peer group or um, their parents um, uh, our parents um, are there is their effectiveness in their contribution to the, the forming of their teenage children is it more and more diminished now um, with social media because they see other options and they see other voices uh, I don't know um,
0: I I think that it can be I, I'm not sure with our kids we we did have restrictions on phone and uh, internet usage and that kind of thing. I, you know, I um, I do think like with regard to that study I just mentioned a few minutes ago about the escitalopram and the um, meditation, the meditation, you know, to do it required a lot, a fair bit of time in this study, and so it sort of mandated that time spent on social media would reduce, where anxiety, if you keep on just flashing this up in front of someone's face, wouldn't that just by nature of, I don't care what's on the screen, it keeps coming at you, that that's going to do it. So, um, some restriction on that, but like, what's more important or relevant, the parent's presence yeah. or their peers it's always been this way as as you grow up you start to you know become more and more independent and mom and dad don't know quite as much as you thought they did and, yeah. um but now there's this almost this power to do things about it and the parents mm-hmm. maybe don't know
1: it's and some, you know I, I think the parents are affected also I, I suspect the parents have anxiety disorders and depression as well mm-hmm. um, that's either not treated or treated with alcohol and, yeah 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 um and then we can even talk about the effect of readily available uh, marijuana and marijuana analogs, um, you know, to the students as well. Um, so it's very really complicated now because I mean the family dynamic uh, is disrupted as well uh, in more ways than we're able to assess, you know, in the office.
0: Yeah, and in one of these studies, I know I, that I was l- looking at the parental stress due to ch- due to childcare is challenges. Which the things we're talking about dramatically increased over that same period, two thousand sixteen to two thousand twenty. Sure. Um, so it's it's messing with the whole system. Uh, I'm not sure. We're, I don't think we're going to get to the solution, Jim. Are we?
1: Well, no. let's go. Come well, on. Okay. What are some of the solutions? So, like the academy of Pediatrics said, mm-hmm. um, we do need more resources. We need to dump money into it smartly. We don't want to just dump money mm-hmm. in and not get what we pay for. Um, but um, we need we need to train counselors. Um, we need to train therapists. We need to train psychiatrists. Um, the office that I work in has a pediatric adolescent psychiatrist and it's part of a psych residency program as well. So we have uh, four or five psych residents, medical doctors who are training in psychiatry, uh, who are rotating through, but every one of their schedules, even the residents, are full. Uh, so there's it's, it's kind of like... Um, you know, there's this waterfall and we're trying to catch it with little cups, you know. Mm, um, yeah. The cups yeah. get filled really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so something has to change where we, I mean, we quadruple, we whatever, you know, the number of, of training slots for psychiatry and psychology and things like that. Uh, for
0: you, for, but so you, I mean, you have to feel like for you to try and how, how much time you spend in here, 20 or 30 minutes, maybe, maybe more mm-hmm. with the, with the child and the parent. Uh, you, the best it seems like you might be able to do is to get them heading in the right direction. I, yeah. I mean, I look at like some of the things suggested for parents, mental health for the family, including the parents, normal routine. There's some, some ideas that when you don't have like, we're going to eat now. We're going to get you picked mm-hmm. up from school now. We're going to, oh, that, that introduces this uncertainty in, in the, in the child and in, encouraging open communication and healthy habits. When I start, mm-hmm. when I see things that have bullet points and it's about something like, uh anxiety and stress and depression.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: It kind of mm-hmm. feels like it almost could lend, you know, add to. And one of the things I, I worked in psych for half a dozen years um and would go to the treatment teams and meet with families and, and um you could always see the the struggle that was going on for the young person and you know, the the team of people who were trying to help, including parents or guardians or grandparents. Um, and so much of it is about trying to respect the child, that adolescent, if that's the case, as a unique person. And at the same time, you know, like trying to guide them and, and help them grow in a positive way. But uh, it's just not that clean and easy. It's very complicated and the emotions that, that are there. Um, you know, you, you you live with them and you and you try to make things just be positive, but it's it's challenging. And you think, What this is gonna sound crazy. Love, compassion, and respect. Peace, love and understanding. What's so funny about that?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, this, Elvis, <laughs> that's Elvis Costello, man. Well, so you know, I've got a short time with these with these patients, you know, and um so I try and first assess, you know, what is the overall problem? Okay. Is it depression? Is it anxiety? Is it something I can work with? Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a, if it's mood disorder, bipolar, that's something that I'm not really comfortable treating. I've got to figure out a way to get them to someone else. If it's something I think I can deal with, then I can talk about options. Okay. Look, you know, it really helps to talk to a counselor. Do you think you can talk to a counselor now? Um, medicines can help. Um, you don't want to talk to a counselor? Okay. Let's maybe we can start. This SSRI uh, selective serotonin uptake inhibitor medication, and maybe in a in a month or so, maybe you'll feel like talking to somebody. Then I don't know. Uh, we can try. We'll get you back then. Um, so I try and you know I try and assess, see if it's something I can fix, um, and if so, try and treat it as quickly as I can and get him back to talk more in the future, um, or to try and figure out how to delegate that to another provider that unfortunately could take six months to right, get him to see. Right.
0: Well, Jim, I appreciate. Uh, the compassion with which you approach this whole problem and how you're treating your patients. Um, and I think this might be a good point for us to take a little break and um, we'll continue our discussion about the meds that are available with the podcast that follows this one up. So stay tuned. I uh, Appreciate y'all listening. This has been and will be Druggist for the People.